Well, I'm a little excited for tomorrow. Um, tomorrow, um, I've been helping coach our students at Aliamana Elementary at their basketball team. So I've been helping out the boys and the girls, and we had the girls tournament like a couple weeks ago, but tomorrow is the boys tournament, and um, we have this tournament where six elementary schools come together, and we, we, we play in Radford High School's gym. Um, but we were working so hard with these kids, and sometimes it's been really fun, and sometimes it's been a pain in the butt. <laughs> you know, trying to coach kids, and some kids think they know better, and you're trying to tell them, no, you got to do this, and if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And some of them feel like they know everything, you know. Um, but we're trying to teach them good sportsmanship. So, you know, sometimes when they get a steal or when they, they, they score a a, a layup and they get fouled and they're like yeah and they're in each other's face or like no next time you do that you're out of the out of the game you got to run back down we don't want you taunting the other opponent but to be honest at my age if I block somebody I'm like yeah get that out of here because it hardly happens but sometimes I even forget I'm like Bah and I was like did that just happen I'm like yeah <laughs> but we're trying to teach our kids good sportsmanship um, and maybe it's because we're old school. Um, so we, before um, we sent them off on Friday, we gave them that, you know, that field trip speech that, hey, you know, when you guys go out there, you're not just representing yourself. You're representing all of us here at Aliamanu. You're also representing your mom and your dad, your parents, and your Peters, you're representing everybody. So you better put on a good face. And we give them that speech and we make them feel guilty about the whole thing. <laughs> but they have an image to uphold because they're not just representing themselves. And that's the fact. Now the gospel, we have this, um, we're going to be talking about who are we in Christ. Um, and there's this term that we use, it's called imago Dei, it's a theological term, but basically it just means the image of God. It's the Latin word uh, for image of God that theologians use. And this topic has been a topic of much discussion, because there's so many ways to interpret what this means. <clears throat> But what we can all agree upon is that we as humans, in some degree and in some way, are like God. And it's because we are created in the image of God. In fact, we are the one and only God-like creature created in all creation. Now, I got a lot of my research from scholar David Klein's. Um, and his contributions have been really helpful for me to understand this concept. Um, but he suggests that we look at other ancient Eastern religions to help us understand how they understood this idea of the image of God and how they used, understood the word image. What does that look like? So back then, some people used images to represent the divine. Okay. Many times people believe that in certain substances, in rocks or wood or iron or in statues, these statues possess the divine. 
We would call these idols. And these images or objects were treated as living things. I think we in Hawaii here can kind of understand this. We've been taught, you know, when we're young, hey, don't take rocks from certain areas. Because we've heard many stories that people who took, took rocks from like heiaus and things like that, they took it home and they got sick and they didn't know why they were sick. And the doctors are befuddled. And only when they take the rock back that they become okay again. So we kind of understand this idea of, you know, the spiritual presence in this inanimate object. We can look at other ancient cultures called the Assyrians. So the Assyrians would come in and they would conquer other territories, other cities. And what they would do was the king would erect a statue in the presence of that city. And this statue would represent this territory is under the rule of this king. So when people looked at the statue, they would say, oh, it was a reminder that this is their territory. And if you were captured, you would look at that statue and say, I'm under the rule of this Assyrian king. So the king didn't even have to be there to assert his authority because that image alone reminded them that this is their situation. Now, there's also another, other ancient cultures where living beings were referred to as the image of God. There's this story of a man named Eshahadad, an Assyrian king, who they refer to as the image of Baal and the image of Shamesh, these Mesopotamian gods. So even the king could be described as the image of God. And then we have Pharaoh. Pharaoh is said to have been the begotten, created by God, whose image he is. So Pharaoh was also considered the sole person who bore the image of their gods. So all these historical references, images of rocks as deities or statues as deities, the statue, having a statue of a king claiming his majesty over a territory, um, Assyrian kings being described as the image of God, or even the Egyptian pharaoh who was the image of God. All these references somehow helps us to understand that how ancient civilizations understood what it meant to be the image of God. See, only kings and rulers were designated with this title. It's the kings, the rulers, who were the image of God. So now we look at the scripture in Genesis, where the Israelites Read this text, and how would they understand it? And in verse 27, it says, God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
So at this time, um, I'm going to have a video played, and it talks about what it means to be the image of God. So if you lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called selim, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel... They didn't view their kings as the God. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. That's exactly right. And that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans. And he calls all of them the image of God. So he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly. That's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods. And then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So ruling is really the day-to-day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really nice. And humans have designed some pretty great things. But just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice, so maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling. Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they going to use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self-advantage? And in the story, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world. And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things. But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. 
So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies. And that's not a typical way to rule. And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all of the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. And so when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus' resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity. Jesus is a new way to be human. Yeah, that's why they called Jesus the image of God or the new human. And not only that, they also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power. And this sounds really nice, but what does it really look like? So practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says, this is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their guide. What a great video. I mean, if um, it, this video was done by this group called The Bible Project. Um, and they have all these videos on YouTube talking about, like, what is God and how do we understand God and the Trinity, Trinity and all that. So if you want to look it up, it's on YouTube. It's, it's free. Um, but they do a great job. So with this, we get this understanding of what it means to be the image of God. Um, David Klein, in his interpretation, um, where it says the word in, he says, in can also be interpreted as. So um, we could understand it as God created humanity as God's own image. Um, as the divine image, God created them. So Genesis gives us one essential meaning of the matter of imago Dei. And this is it. We as human beings, in some degree, are like God. Because we're created in the image of God. And the text, what, it draw, what I love about this text is that in this story, it said that God created humankind in his image. And then he also goes on to say that male and female were created in his image. Not just male and then female is a subordinate. But women bear the image of God as well. And it's something that we, people wrestle in the Christian faith. They think men are above women, but in this text, there's no distinction in that. It says God created both of them as his image. The other thing I love about this text is that we are created like God. So God, the creator, is a very creative God. And in doing so, we are creative beings as well. That's why we can produce beautiful things as well. Things like art and music and architecture. 
See, we are the one and only God-like creature created in all of creation. We're all uniquely designed this way. And Genesis affirms, elevates, and dignifies the worth of each and every human being, men and women, to the highest level, short of being divine. Um, I know in some people it's hard to see it. (laughs) But everyone is created in the image of God. Therefore, there can be no division of race or gender or even social class since all of humanity is created in his image, in God's image. And God chose to do it this way. It's God's design to use humanity and human beings to be his hands and feet in this world. We're the one representative who is, you know, when God, we know that God is spiritually present, but it seems that many times he's physically absent. But God uses us to be physically present. See, here's the thought. When we hurt others, when we're selfish, when we're self-absorbed, it can be hard to see the existence of God. And that's why people ask the question all the time, can God really exist because of, all the things I see in this world, the acts of violence, the abuse, and the destruction in this world, how can God be real? On the other hand, when we are truly whole, truly human, as exemplified in Christ, Christ is our exemplar. When we seek to be fully human, we embody the body of God. When we love one another, when we care for one another, See, when I was younger, part of me didn't want to be a Christian because I felt like, oh, man, I have to change my lifestyle because probably the way I'm living made God mad and it probably displeased him. So, oh, why do I want to be a Christian? Because all I do is make God upset. But I didn't understand that these changes that God desired for me these changes would only make me more human. What I didn't know is that by becoming more human, I get to participate in what God is doing in this world. That I be, I'm a part of God's presence in this hurting and this broken and this chaotic world. Before it was all about me. But as I start to slowly mature... <laughs> I start to realize what it means to love God and to love others as well. And even love my enemies when sometimes inside of me, I don't want to do anything good for them. But God loves them. And I realize these people are hurting and broken inside. In a world that values personality and charm, Do you desire to build character? When we have character, we embody the character of God that produces life and hope and beauty into this world. Do you seek healing for your soul in order to become less secure? 
That help, this type of healing helps us to love others more freely. And not only that, to be the arms of God, stretching forth to hug those to the, for those who need love. When you pray or grow spiritually and emotionally, can you let go of your need for power? Then we can use that power to meet those whose cries are heard from a compassionate God. See, the beautiful thing is this. God could have chose any other way to engage with this world he created. But God chooses us. God puts a lot of trust in us to take care of his creation. You know, several years ago, um, it's been a while back, but we had a friend who wanted us to babysit their kids. And at that time, their kids was like five, three, and one was a, one was a newborn. Um, and they wanted to go out on a date night, so they asked us if we could babysit. And they were really cute kids. Um, the middle kid was really charming. Like, he, he had this, he, his speech was being developed. So when I would play with him, we, we'd be having fun, and then he's like, Danny, you're so funny. Like, he couldn't say funny. He was like, you're so funny. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the most adorable thing. <laughs> like, how can there not be a God when kids are saying, you're so funny. Um, so they came over to our house, and our, we, don't have, we didn't have kids, so we had no toys lying around. We had nothing to entertain him. Um, we could have maybe just bust out toilet paper and made them throw it, but um, we didn't have anything. So we decided, okay, um, you know, we'll run to Blockbuster, rent a DVD. Um, remember Blockbuster <laughs> and DVDs? Um, so we went down to Blockbuster. I decided to go down to Blockbuster, so Michelle watched two of the kids, and one of them came in the car with me. So we hopped into the car, and we started to drive to Blockbuster, which, which was only three minutes away. So as we're going there, I'm driving, and then the, the child in the back, the oldest one, goes, I shouldn't be doing this. I need to be in a car seat. I'm like, but your seatbelt's buckled. Yeah, but I need to be in a car seat. I need to be in a car This is not good. And I'm like, but we're almost there. He's like, no, I need to be in a car seat. I'm like, why do you tell me this now? <laughs> and we're almost there. So we get to Blockbuster, we get out of the car, and he's like, oh, I should have been in a car seat. And he, it's, he's just fixated on that. So I'm like, okay, so what video do you want to watch? And he gets the video, and we get back into the car, and as we're driving back, there's no car seat. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, is this going to be an issue? And I'm like, oh, I hope he doesn't tell his dad, because I don't want to get into trouble for this. Like, uh, my intention was to entertain these kids, and oh, they might be disappointed in us. So, we had fun, we ate food, played games, um, heard hut. And so the parents came home to pick them up at our house. And they're like, how was it? And they're like, oh, we had fun. It was funny. And, you know, they, they had a good time. And I'm like, Christian, don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. And they were like, okay, we'll see you. And like, yeah, and I got to ride in a car without a car seat. And I'm like, oh, just threw me under the bus. 
That's the story of the one and only time we babysat for that family. (laughs) See, God entrusted us with more than just babysitting kids. He has entrusted us with all of creation, with the earth and the environment and the seas and the trees of this world. But not only that, he has entrusted us with people. People who are made in his image. People who may sometimes be hard to see that the image of God is in them. Because they betray us, they hurt us, they do things to abuse us. But we are called to care for one another. See, the main idea is this, in closing. There is this book that came out called A Case for Faith. And in that book, they laid out all these facts on why God is real, why we should believe in God. But the the greatest testament to show that the existence of God exists are us. Because people may come to God. God can reveal himself however he wants. And people may have, been, may have experienced God in a way where we weren't there. But what makes them stick to the Christian faith? It's us. It's people showing the love of God. That's the greatest testimony that God exists. It's because we can love people in a world that is self-absorbed, and looking out for their own self-interest, we are people who care for those, who look beyond ourselves, who are generous in a world that is driven by greed. We are the greatest testament, and we stand as the image of God, just like in the city where the king declares his territory by just looking at the image So we, as the image of God, stand in this world as a testament to who God is. We are the greatest case of faith because we are created in the image of God. So as we close, this series is about who am I? So who are we? We are all created in the image of God. Who am I? We are God's chosen representatives in this world. Who am I? We are people who bring life and liberty and hope and love, which testifies that there is a true living God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.